Nobody likes being told what to do. Don't you think that's true? We don't like being told what to do. Think about the last time that you got some advice and you didn't ask for it. Maybe it was your parents, maybe it was your husband or your wife, maybe it was something like, you should go to sleep earlier, you should eat better, you should do this or you shouldn't do that and they tell you this thing but I bet you, you probably didn't appreciate being told. Because I think there's something about us inherently where we just don't like being told what to do. Which is why for many of us, uh, some of you here today, but most of the world out there, people don't like the Bible. They don't like the Bible because the Bible actually tells them what they should be doing, how they should be living their life, telling them that their way isn't the way that God wants them to live. And people don't like that. And even for Christians, you know, for us Christians who are here today, the Bible can be a burden, can't it? When you come to it and you think about all the things that we're supposed to do and all the things that we aren't supposed to do, it, it can be a bit overwhelming, isn't that true, brothers and sisters? And also, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm saved by grace. Jesus Christ has forgiven me already. Um, that's My sin doesn't define me, so why should I even bother living like this anymore? I'm forgiven. I'm saved. What's the point? Why should I live God's way? I don't know if you ever thought about that. Because living God's way is hard, isn't it? And I'm sure if we didn't have to follow all these things, it would be much easier. Most of us want that. But in today's passage, we're going to see a simple truth, but a very profound truth, something that we all have to grasp. That living God's way matters. Living God's way matters. Holiness matters. It matters how you live. And today, we're going to look at three reasons why that matters from today's passage in Ephesians 5. Why holiness matters is because, number one, you are called to be like God. Number two, heaven and hell are real. Number three, this is who you are. And number four, in light of those reasons, the call is to live a spirit-filled life. Live a spirit-filled life. So please, keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking back into the passage as we go along. Please follow along with me. And the first reason we are going to look at to see why we should live God's way, why we should live holy lives, is that you are called to be like God. Have a look at Ephesians 5, verses 1. And two with me. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is actually the conclusion from the second half of Ephesians 4, which uh, we went through quite a few weeks ago. And that introduced the idea of holy living, what the fact that we should live lives which are different, lives which are holy. And this is a concluding statement. And the Apostle Paul is telling us this, be like God. That's what he's saying, be like God. Now, I have uh, a few kids, as you guys will know, and Nathan, one of my children, sometimes he asks me in the morning, he comes to me and he says, hey, Daddy, what are you wearing today? And I, um, I tell him what I'm wearing. And the reason he asks me that is because he wants to copy me. He wants to be like me. So if I'm wearing a jumper, 
he'll go and make sure he's got a jumper on. If I'm going to wear shorts that day, he'll go and get shorts. He, he, he wants to cut. Sometimes he even tries to do his hair like me. And Lee Ching blames me for the fact that they're always late when they're going out. Because my son looks to me as his father and he wants to be like me. He's trying to follow my example. And that's exactly the call here of what Paul is saying to us. Because did you notice what it says in verse 1? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. We follow God's example not as God being some far-off transcendent being we have no access to at all, but we follow Him as our Father. Because for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, you know what? We get to call God Father. We are His dearly loved children. And as His children, we are to look to Him and to see His example of love and goodness and grace shown to us. And that is the way we are to live. We are called to be like God. And how do we know what God is like? Well, ultimately, He shows that through His Son, Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 2. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is how we know who God is. Because He shows us through His Son, Jesus Christ. As we look to Jesus and we look to what Jesus has done, as we look to the fact that He has given Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, that He's given His life, He's died on that cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could come back into the family and be called sons and daughters of God as we look at the fact that He has given everything, absolutely everything for us. Then we see ultimate love, goodness, holiness. We see perfection. We see who God is. And this is what we are called to live like. Perfect goodness and love. This is God's way. As we look to God, we have to look to Him like children who admire and respect their Father because He is good and holy and perfect. And that's very different from Nathan and me because I'm so unholy and imperfect and I wouldn't want Him to copy everything that I do. But for our Father God, our perfect, holy Father God, our loving God who shows us that in Jesus, we are called to imitate Him, to follow His example, to live like Him in every aspect of life. So friends, I'd urge you, as you think about how to live your life and why you should live God's way, just look to God. Look to what He has done. Open up your Scriptures and have a look at what He has done and what He has shown us and who He is in Jesus Christ. And follow His example. We're called to emulate His example. We are called to be like God. That's the first reason to live God's way. The first reason. And the second reason to live God's way is this. Heaven and hell are real. Have a look at Ephesians 5 verse 5 with me. (laughs) Ephesians 5 verse 5. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ 
and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. What this part of Ephesians is telling us, what the Apostle Paul, this early church missionary writing to the church, what he's telling us is that there are eternal consequences for the way we live. There are eternal consequences, and that shapes everything that we do. He's saying, don't miss out on what is good, and be careful that you don't experience this terrible fate that happened to the disobedient. Paul is using this for motivation. I think as we think about our life and how we live our life, uh, what we need to get motivated, actually, is a firm grasp on reality. Isn't that true? Think about, I'll give you an example. Think about um, exercise, for example. So hard to get motivated to exercise, right? It's so hard to get motivated. But what I've realized as I look around, what I've noticed is that there's two situations normally where people get motivated to exercise. Number one is when they see people who have been exercising and they see the benefits of it. So you might flick through your Instagram or you might see one of your friends who's been exercising and you think to yourself, wow, they look good. Well, and they tell you, man, I'm feeling so much healthier, I've got so much more energy. And you look at that person and you're thinking, I could be like that. That could be me. I can see the benefits of it. And that's a bit of a motivator to you. That's why, you know, there's those hashtags, Fitspiration or something. Is that true? I don't know. Like, just their Instagram accounts of people that just look good. And then you look to them and you go, I can be like that. And that motivates you because there's something good at the end. Health and looking good. That's one reason people get motivated. The other reason people get motivated to exercise is this. is when you go to your doctor and your doctor tells you your blood pressure is high, your cholesterol is at critical levels, and if you don't change something, then you're in big trouble. Heart disease is right around the corner for you. And both of those things, right? that's the other side, that's the negative sort of motivator. But both of those things, they motivate you to change. Both of those things are based on the reality, the future reality that is to come. One positive, one negative, but they're both motivators for you to actually think about what is coming, what are the consequences of my action right now, and how am I to live in light of that? They need to be based on reality. That's what motivates us. And what Paul is saying here is that you need to have a grasp on reality. And the first is, there's a positive aspect. He talks about the inheritance that is to come. Look at that. The inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. The fact that if you live God's way, that at the end there's an inheritance for you. You get to share in the blessings of Jesus Christ. You get to share all of that. Perfect joy. The presence of God. This is waiting at the end. Everything is yours. And he's saying, don't miss out on that. Because it's so good. But the second thing he's saying is this. Um, in verse 6, he talks about God's wrath. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And Paul is saying this, God's wrath, God's anger, this terrible thing of being against God and under His judgment, this comes to those who do not live God's way. Make sure you don't experience that. He's saying, don't go that way. Now, I need to take a minute to just address this for a minute. This topic of hell. And I'm sure as you've seen in the media lately with Israel Folau, this topic of hell is not a popular topic, is it? It's not something that people like to hear. 
And one of the big objections that often comes is this. How can a loving God send people to hell? Have you heard that objection? Maybe you have that objection today. It's a very common one. And this objection is based on the premise of this, that if God is loving, if God is truly loving, then He wouldn't send anyone to hell. He would forgive everyone. How can a loving God punish people? How could He do that? Well, the fact is, friends, is we need to look at that premise and whether it's actually true. Because it's in fact out of His goodness and out of His love that He does judge, that He does punish, that He does send people to hell. Because God is a God who loves. He, he loves us. He loves His creation. He loves His glory and rightfully so because He is God. And if anything is to insult and damage and hurt those things, then He needs to do something about it. He needs to take action. He can't just let those things go. If you think about the judge in your local law courts, if you were to go down to your local courts and you saw a case there, what would you say would be a loving, good judge? Would you say it's a judge that lets every criminal who walks through the door, who's been convicted as guilty, who definitely has done the crime, would you say it's a good and loving thing for him to say, doesn't matter, you can leave now. I'm a nice guy, so I forgive you. Off, off you go. And he lets every single person back onto the streets with no consequences for what they have done. Friends, I'm sure you would say that is not a good judge. In fact, that's not a loving judge when you think about the consequences of those actions. And friends, that is not the sign of God, the kind of judge that we have in our God. Because a good and loving judge is a judge that punishes evil when it's evil, that deals with sin when it is sin. A good and loving judge needs to be just he needs to be a God of justice. And that is our God. That is our God. There are consequences for our actions and our life teaches us this. You, got, you know that. The things you do, they have consequences. How much more so when we think about the eternal consequences that we have of our life compared to a God who is perfect, utterly holy, utterly pure God of all the universe and the way we live before Him, the way we disobey Him, the way we reject Him and choose to live for ourselves, how much more so are there consequences for that action? And rightfully so. Because this is God. The holy God, the one true God, the God who is just and loving and who needs to punish. Friends, there are eternal consequences. Heaven and hell are real. That's one thing we need to grasp. It's no use pretending this isn't true. This is what God's Word tells us. And Paul says this, No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The Scriptures tell us that all sin condemns us, but what Paul is particularly concerned about here um, is a particular type of sin. The word immoral here, as it talks about the immoral person, is actually derived from the Greek word pornos, where we get our English word pornography. Uh, what he's particularly focused on here is sexual sin, sexual immorality. A huge problem back then, throughout the New Testament, they talked about it over and over and over, and I'm sure you agree with me, it's a huge problem today, isn't it? Not just outside of the church, but within the church as well. Sexual sin, 
sexual behavior outside of a committed covenant marriage relationship. That's what's being talked about here. Sexual immorality. And Paul is saying that this is a matter of heaven and hell. We need to take it seriously. We need to do whatever it takes to avoid it. And I want to talk practically now about three situations we need to be particularly on guard in. Number two, if you are married, you need to stay faithful. If you are married, stay faithful. Let me start by saying something. No one plans to have an affair. No one gets married and sets out thinking, I'm going to be unfaithful. I'm going to cheat on my spouse. That's not what happens, but it does happen, doesn't it? Unfaithfulness is all over the place. And often it's a gradual process. So maybe you're in a marriage and you're feeling dissatisfied. Maybe you're feeling disconnected from your spouse. Maybe you're in a loveless, sexless marriage where you feel like you're so far away from this person that they're not even your husband or wife anymore. And then you go into your workplace. You go to your local gym. You come to church. And there's someone there who connects with you. Someone there who shows you that attention that you crave. Someone there that makes you feel special. And that little connection is where it starts. Friends, because that little emotional connection we have with somebody else who is not our spouse, when we're dissatisfied, when we're struggling in marriage, it's where it all begins. That emotional connection is what leads to the physical connection to come. And we need to be on guard here. If you sense even the slightest inkling of a romantic connection to anyone else other than your spouse, you need to deal with this. This is serious. This is serious, friends. If you are married, stay faithful. Next thing I want to talk about, if you are dating, stay pure. Sex is for marriage. Sex is for marriage. That's just the bottom line of what God wants. And I think in a dating relationship, this is the biggest struggle for dating couples, that purity that God actually calls us to, to wait for marriage, especially when you love this person. You know, you're going to get married anyway. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging situation. And people think that as Christians uh, say these things, as God's Word puts forth these things, that... Um, that sex is reserved for marriage, that Christians are just a killjoy, they're just negative. Christians have this incredibly negative view on sex. But I'm going to propose to you something different, that I think Christians actually have the highest view of sex out of anyone in society. Because Christians are the people that want to uphold God's view of sex, which is that sex is to be honoured. Sex is a sacred thing to be exercised only in the context of marriage. That sex is a powerful thing and in the wrong context destroys relationships and destroys lives, but in the marriage relationship bonds and unites a couple. And Christians, we as Christians, we don't, we don't want to cheapen sex. We don't want to bring sex down to this level of just our plaything that we use for entertainment. The sex in God's eyes is incredibly precious and only for the marriage relationship. Friends, as you think about if you're a dating couple, be on guard, stay pure, 
plan for sex in the context of marriage. And that is a beautiful thing, a beautiful gift. And the third thing I want to talk about is if you are a Christian, guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. Can I just say that pornography is killing holiness in the church? It's killing it. Absolutely killing it. And the the advent of the internet and smartphones and smart devices just means that sinning is all the more easier, isn't it? Anytime, anywhere you want, completely anonymous. It just makes it much easier to delve into this immorality that God is against. And it's not just hardcore porn I'm talking about. Have a look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Do you see what's being said here? Not even a hint, not even a tiny bit. Don't even think about it. Don't even go near there, which, which means this, that, that magazine that you read, that, uh, that game that you play, that book that you're reading, that TV show that you're streaming, it doesn't matter how good the story is, if it's causing you to think improper thoughts, if it's causing you to lust after someone who is not your spouse, then this is serious. Because Jesus Christ himself says, if you lust after someone else in your mind, it is as if you committed adultery with them. It's that serious. When when you expose your eyes to these things, when you are lusting, it's a, it's a matter of eternal consequences. And the Apostle Paul says, yeah, not even a hint, not even your hint, not even a tiny bit. So what are you exposing your eyes, your minds, and your hearts to, friends? I know it feels heavy at the moment, and I hope you do feel that, because I don't think Paul is writing these things to give us a little bit of information. His intention to write to his readers, to write to the church, including us, is that he wants us to know how serious these things are, and he wants us to change in light of it. So we need to take action. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 says this, Flee from, from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. And this applies to everything that we've talked about before. If you are married and you're staying uh, late hours in the office, if you're staying, a lot, you know, spending a lot of time alone with a colleague of the opposite sex and you're starting to get attracted to them, you need to do something about that right away. You need to be do, meeting out in the public where everybody can keep you accountable. You need to be talking to your boss. You need to take, change jobs. You need to do whatever it takes to avoid that situation. And I hope it's not the case that if you're currently being unfaithful, the time to deal with that was yesterday. And you need to talk to someone about that. A trusted Christian brother or sister, talk to me afterwards. We need to deal with this. It's serious. If you're dating then don't spend time behind closed doors alone. Don't go places where no one can see you. Don't go, don't, just make sure you're accountable for what you do. Don't hide by yourself because 
you do, you're asking for trouble. If you're looking at something causing you to lust, get rid of that thing. Keep your phone or computer outside of your room. Um, install accountability software on your devices, covenant eyes. I have them on all of my devices because I know I'm tempted to these things. Do something drastic about it. Cut off your internet even. I don't know what it will take, but what God wants is not even a hint of sexual immorality. And let me tell you the key to winning this fight. The key to winning this fight is each other. It's the church. Because this sort of sin, it thrives in darkness. We will never deal with this sin if we just keep it hidden away where nobody else can see it. But if we bring it out of the darkness and into the light, that's when we start to see progress. That's where we see holiness coming about as we as brothers and sisters keep each other accountable and encourage each other and spur each other on otherwise we would never deal with this problem by ourselves on our own in our sinful hearts we need each other and that's the key to winning this fight friends I'd urge you to use each other to talk to each other as we think about these things can I say one thing clearly this this isn't just about one off sins Uh, let me assure you if you've committed a sin just once, if you stumble and fall just once, it's not as if you're disqualified from the kingdom of God. It's not as if you have no chance of going to heaven anymore. This is about persistent, unrepentant sin. Uh, people who have made sin their idol. Remember what it says here that for of, in Ephesians 5, verse 5 and 6, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater as any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's as, this is talking about people who have made sex their idol, sex their God. And that's a question that you need to ask yourself. Is sexual sin your idol? Do you worship sex? Are you unwilling to let go or change if you just desire that momentary earthly pleasure? Friends, are you unwilling to live God's way? If that's the case, then you will miss out on heaven. We have to live God's way because heaven and hell are real. That's the second reason. And the third reason to live God's way is this. This is who you are. Have a look at Ephesians 5 verse 8 to 10 with me. Ephesians 5 verse 8 to 10. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Even though uh, beforehand we talked about how Jesus has left us an example to live by, let me tell you something. Jesus did not die on the cross to pay for our sin. He He didn't just do that to leave us a nice example to live life by. Jesus died to give us completely new identities. New identities in Jesus, identities of light. And we are to reflect this in our life. We are to live out who we are. We are called children of the light now. Did you see that in the passage? Children of the light. This is who you are. And your life is to bear witness to that. Now let me show you a picture um, I wonder if you know what sort of tree this is. If you do know, if you're some crazy botanist person, don't say it out loud, but 
I'm not looking at you, Luna. It's okay. <laughs> I wonder if you know what sort of tree this is. You look at that tree. Not sure. Now, what sort of tree is it? Do you know? Is it? It's an orange tree. An orange tree, friends. It's pretty obvious when you look at it that way. Because when you think about what sort of tree, you know, when you think about this question, what sort of tree this is, it's obvious when you see the fruit. Because the fruit is the evidence of what the very essence of this tree is. The identity of this tree. It's without a doubt shows you what sort of tree it is. And if we look at verse 9 in this passage, what does it say? For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We are children of the light. If we trust in Jesus Christ, we are children of the light. And what sort of fruit are we to bear? Fruit of light, righteousness, truth, goodness. This is what's to show in our life. Because this is who we are. As Christians, our lives are supposed to be different. They're supposed to be different. One of the core messages of the Christian faith is this, that Jesus accepts you just as you are, uh, which is a core message of the Christian faith. But this truth has been twisted over time to sort of mean something like this, that Jesus um, doesn't care about sin. See, Jesus spent time with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, so it, it doesn't really actually matter about your sin, that you can just do whatever you want and Jesus will accept you, because that's, that's the sort of guy that he is. I don't know if you've heard that message. Maybe that's what you actually think. You know, people say holiness. Well, that's just one option to live your life. That's a good moral option. But let me tell you the message of Jesus Christ that he actually brings to us. If there's one thing you write down today, this is it, right? This. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Because Jesus has not saved you so you can go on living a life of sin, living in darkness. He has not saved you for that. He saved you out of darkness into the light so you can live a a life of holiness, a life that reflects your identity as children of light. Verse 10 in the passage says, Find out what pleases the Lord, not find out what pleases yourself and keep doing that. It's the Lord's pleasure that we are after, not our own, because this is who we are. If Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, He's given you a new identity, brothers and sisters. A completely new identity. Once you are darkness and now you are light, that's what this passage says. And those two things are incompatible. The darkness and the light cannot mix Together, we have been called out of darkness and we are children of the light and God just wants us to do this, to just live that out. Live out your identity. Who are you? You are children of the light. You're a child of the light. So live that out. Never forget this. Our fruit is to be fruit of holiness, friends. What a privilege that we get to live this new life in Jesus Christ. Live God's way because this is who you are already. That's the call. That's the third reason. Now, what does this look like? Well, we've already talked about purity. So important. A huge issue for us to deal with. But there's more to talk about here. And as we finish the passage, let me talk to you about a spirit-filled life. 
5.4, a spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5 verse 18, read that with me. Ephesians 5 verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Paul here, he uses the image of alcohol to sort of start us off in this passage. Alcohol, it's got a massive influence on us, doesn't it? When we drink, it impacts everything about the way we live, the way we think, the way we behave. But unfortunately, the influence of alcohol, it isn't a positive thing. It shows in a lack of self-control. Uh, it shows in ungodly behavior. But we can agree that alcohol has a huge influence. What Paul is saying is, don't get drunk like this. But instead, let the Holy Spirit influence you. Live God's way. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit be the thing that impacts your heart in your mind, in your behavior, in your thinking. Let that influence everything about your life. That's what he's saying. Live the Spirit-filled life. And there's two things I want to pick up here from these verses. We're going to talk about submission next week. But today, I want to talk about two things. Number one is singing. Have a look at verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Oftentimes when we think about singing, we think about the fact that we're singing and praising God and worshipping God in song, which is very true. The second half of this verse says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. We praise Him and worship Him in our song, in our action, but oftentimes that's the only thing we're thinking about. Well, what does this verse actually say? Did you notice? It says, speak to one another, one another, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing is not just for us and God. It's not just a vertical relationship. It's horizontal as well, because as we sing, we're actually singing to one another. The parallel verse from Colossians 3 actually says that it's about teaching and admonishing one another through our song. So I'm not saying here, friends, that you have to live out the greatest showman every day in church. Every time you speak, talk to each other, it's got to be in song. Um, that's not what I'm saying here, spontaneously bursting out to encourage one another. Although that would be interesting. But what I am talking about is in our act of corporate worship together, as we sing those songs together, that we think about each other as well as God. Because as we sing those amazing truths about the gospel and Jesus Christ and what God has done, you know what it's doing? It's encouraging each other. It's stirring one another on. It's building each other up. So I'd urge you, don't get so lost in your worship experience that it becomes just about you and God. Don't lose sight of your church and your people around you. Because we are called to sing to one another, to encourage one another, as well as praising and worshipping God. And actually, as we sing and encourage one, one another, that gives great praise and glory to God. So don't forget each other as you sing. And here's a big application point. That means we just have to sing. You have to sing. And men, I'm talking to you. Because I know there's a whole bunch of you here who think that somehow singing is not cool or singing is not masculine. That's just a girly thing to do. But God says singing is, is about holiness. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. 
So the call is to open your mouth and to sing boldly and loudly. And God doesn't care if you have perfect pitch. Your brothers and sisters aren't here to give you a score. This isn't the voice. Right? We're looking to live a life of holiness, worshipping and praising God as we encourage and sing to each other. So can I urge every one of you to sing. To sing. And the second thing we picked up on this passage, verse 20, is to give thanks. Verse 20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My personal opinion is that giving thanks to God is one of the biggest weaknesses in the church. One of the biggest weaknesses. Because think about the situations that we live in life. When things are going well, what do we normally do? We don't often think about giving thanks to God because we're enjoying things and we don't um, need any help. So why would we actually talk to God in those points? And we're probably relying on ourselves and thinking, yeah, we, we did this, we got there. So there's not much thanks to God happening there in the good times. In the bad times then, Yes, we do go to God, but do we give thanks to Him? No, we're just asking Him for help. We go to Him when we need help. And amidst those two situations and everything in between, we forget to give thanks to God. We just forget to do it. But this verse tells us that we are to give thanks to God, the Father, for everything, everything, good and bad. But let's be honest here. How on earth are we supposed to give thanks to God when things are terrible? How does that work? When your uh, parent and your toddler is throwing tantrum after tantrum after tantrum and nothing that you do works and that you're just on your, at your breaking point and you're thinking to yourself, I should just quit because I'm not worthy to be a mother or a father. At those low points, how on earth are you supposed to give thanks to God for that? When you're business fails, when you lose your job, when money is not coming in anymore, how are you supposed to give thanks to God for that? When you're a parent and you invest all your time and effort and your love and care into your children and they grow up and they not only reject you but they reject God as well and walk away from Him, how are we supposed to give thanks for that? When you get news from your doctor that it's cancer and it's incurable, how are we supposed to give thanks for that? Because it does tell us, give thanks in everything. Friends, God doesn't want us to pretend that things aren't bad. He doesn't want us to just close our eyes and just ignore things and pretend that everything's all good. If you look through the Psalms, you'll see that's just definitely not the case. As King David writes his psalms of lamentation, he calls out to God, he laments to God, he tells God about his pain and his sorrow. We are to be real about these things. We're to acknowledge how terrible these things actually are. But we're not to just stay there. Because more often than not, do you know how those psalms end? It ends with King David remembering who God is. Remembering who he is that He is powerful, that He's in control, that He loves us, that He cares, that He's good. He's good even when everything else around us is not good. And the assurance that we can take here is that these 
things about God will never, ever change, no matter how bad the situation is. And that's something that we can give thanks for. That we can say, thank you, God, that you are still the same, that you are still good, even if I can't see it at this present time. That's what we have to give thanks to God for. And it's the Holy Spirit that fills us up, that allows us to pray these things. Because naturally we wouldn't. This is evidence of a Holy Spirit-filled life. To give thanks to God in everything. Everything. Give thanks to God. This is living God's way. This is a Spirit-filled life. We've seen today three reasons to live God's way. Three reasons. Number one is because we are called to be like God. Number two is that heaven and hell are real. And number three, because this is who you are. This is your identity in Jesus Christ. My friends, as we finish, let me remind you of this one thing. Something that we need to be reminded of. As we strive for holiness, as we seek to live like God's way, as we want to live a holy life, we will fail. We will fail. There will be times where no matter how hard we try, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. And in those times, we need to remember this. That Jesus Christ has forgiven you already if you trusted in Him as your Lord and Savior. That as you stumble and fall, that Jesus Christ is better to pick you back up again so you can take one more step towards holiness. To pick you up again, to forgive you and to push you onwards. To take one more step towards holiness. That Jesus is there for us. That's what we need to remember. Because our life is not based on our moment-to-moment performance. Our life is based on our overall direction and where are we headed. Are we running away from holiness? Are we heading towards holiness? Are we walking towards God? Are we running away from Him? That's what we need to ask ourselves. And Jesus Christ is there to help us take one step forward, little by little, every single day, so that we can be more and more holy. Friends, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. That he has redeemed us, that he has given us new lives and new identities. Please help us to live this out in light of the fact that this is what you desire and what pleases you. Forgive us, Father, for the times that we have neglected to live a life of holiness where we've lived for ourselves instead of you. But by your Spirit, may you empower us to live in purity. May you empower us to give thanks to you, to be singing boldly, to be living a life which is pleasing to you as we love and care and serve for others and we love you, Father. Give us the strength to do this because by ourselves we can't do it. Father, transform us and day by day make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ, until we see him on that final day. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.